Father, we thank you for this great morning, those words, my soul sings how great thou art. And God, uh, that is uh, the statement that we want to make this morning. That is exactly what we want to proclaim to you, our Father, our Savior, how great thou art. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to challenge our hearts and our minds as we continue to worship you through the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? That sounded good, right? We're all good this morning? All right. We're gonna be in John 15, verses five through 11 here in just a couple of minutes. So if you can find your way there, either in your hard copy of God's Word or through your version or however uh, you want to get there. We're in this series called The Nine Fruit of the Spirit, and today we're going to be talking about joy. So I want to give you an announcement before uh, I get started this morning, just to kind of catch you up uh, to speed just a little bit. This past January, I recruited and formed a search team made up of people from all different ages, experiences, and areas of involvement in this church to help find and hire our next worship arts pastor. The team interviewed some search firms to help us in this process. So there are these organizations that help churches uh, find these individuals, and uh, we interviewed some search firms, and after that we decided to hire a search firm uh, called Vanderblumen. And a representative by the name of Eric came here a few months ago and he interviewed all kinds of people. He spent uh, hours with me and the elder board and the search team and our MLT and he just collected all this information to try to discover who are we as a church, what exactly are we looking for. And then they, uh, he formed this profile that he kind of used to do this national search. This Thursday, Eric will be back in Fargo to present to our search team the two final candidates. We don't know who they are um, yet, but through an interviewing process, we'll look to God very clearly for direction and we'll follow his lead in hiring and selecting our next worship arts pastor. My invitation to you is that you would join us as we draw near to the end of this process and as we make this higher, someone in the next few weeks, if all goes well, you will meet as our finalist. So please be in prayer and joining us uh, in that process. I just want to give you the process. We haven't talked a lot about the process, so I want to give that information just so you know where we're at. Last week, I started a series called The Nine, Fruit of the Spirit. Remember last week, here's a couple things that we learned last week. We learned that the fruit of the Spirit is in opposition to the works of the flesh, right? We learned that the fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. We learned that the fruit of the Spirit is not about actions as much as it is about our attitude. We also learned that the fruit of the Spirit is not as much about us and others as it is about God revealing himself. But one of the foundational truths we learned last week needs to be our starting point this morning. We have learned that unless we eat of the fruit of the Spirit first, we can only offer the works of the flesh even if it appears good. If the fruit we display is not of the Spirit, 
It's what I call plastic fruit, and it'll be temporary. It will rot. First of all, joy starts at the vine, verses five through 10, starting with just verse five. Jesus says this, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. We'll just stop right there for a second. I am the vine, because this is central to everything we're talking about. In fact, I would say this is central to life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So because the fruit of the Spirit is so closely connected to the vine, let's take a closer look at the importance of the vine in our lives. It's the issue of abiding. It's the first part of verse five. Jesus said, I am the vine. The vine, Jesus, is the source for all things. Let that sing in for just a second. Jesus is the source for all things. And the branch, that's us. We are the recipients. Never does the vine need anything from the branch. But the branch needs everything from the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. What was he saying? He says, I am the source for life from which all things flow. When Jesus said, I am the vine, he was making this declaration about himself, and it's actually one of seven declarations, self-declarations that he makes about himself in scripture, and we call them the I am's. We must become more vine dependent as we talk about the series of the fruit of the spirit and just in life, If we're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, we have to become more vine dependent. A person doesn't have to experience the fruit of the Spirit. They can go on trying to love and love out of the flesh. You can do that. A person can fake joy. A person can give the impression that that they have peace. A person can be kind when it's necessary, be faithful as their, as their cravings will let them. You get the picture. This entire life is about being sanctified. Changed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what that idea means. Well, guess what describes the likeness of Jesus? Guess what the characteristics might be that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all nine of them. If you were to describe Jesus, if somebody said, what is Jesus like? You would probably use those nine characteristics, those nine marks to describe him. That's what we're being transformed. Sanctified is what it's called. We're being changed. There is a question that many are wrestling with post-pandemic. The question is, how much do I really need the church? But I think the question actually runs a lot deeper than that. I think the real question many are asking is, do I really need God? The answer to that question will determine a person's true belief about the vine. 
If I don't need God, I don't need the vine. If I don't need the vine, I don't need the fruit of the Spirit. And if I don't need the fruit of the Spirit, I have believed that my way and the world are much more appetizing than the fruit of the Spirit. To live my way in the world is a dangerous place. So as the branch remains at the vine, as you and I sit at the vine, the seven I am's in scripture make a whole lot more sense. So far, these two things are true about the vine. At the vine, love, we looked at last week, is lavished upon us. At the vine, as you, as you, there at the vine, as a branch meets the vine, love, God's love is lavished over us and his joy is made complete. The branch has to yield to the vine. And sometimes we forget who the vine is and who the branch is. And and second part of verse five, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I preached uh, this passage uh, a few months ago in a different from a different angle, and I talked more specifically about those verses. But it says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The only thing you can do apart from me is the works of the flesh. Unless we understand the the importance of the vine, we will naturally and automatically attempt to develop our own fruit, of course. What does it say though? It says, apart from me, you can do zilch, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, what that means is that if you abide in me, that's the idea there. So the the word abide means to remain in, right? So it's the concept of union. Think about your relationship with Christ. Here's the concept. It's the concept of union with Christ, and it's the concept of communion with Christ. This passage alone uses the word 11 times. I believe that Christ is trying to say something very significant in this passage. So to abide means to continue in fellowship with Christ. In other words, to remain on a road towards oneness of our wills. Imagine that, that our will would align with Christ and be in harmony with Christ. What I'm talking about here is the deepest part of your relationship with Christ. Christ did not die on the cross for him to become more like us. He died that we might become like him. And he wants us to abide in him, to remain in him, to commune in him. Our greatest struggle is when we are in Christ, which is what scripture says, if you're a believer, it says that you are in Christ. So here's our greatest struggle. Our greatest struggle is that when we are in Christ and we try to live outside of Christ. So what is abiding and how do we get there? It all starts with the relationship and it remains through a relationship. The process of abiding, the process of remaining is an everyday process that is an incredible amount 
of work. It's work because it means we have to move toward him in obedience. It means we have to find the time to spend with him in the word, in prayer, and in worship. Everywhere you go, businesses are looking for workers. Have you noticed that by chance? Have you been in restaurants? I went into a restaurant a couple weeks ago and the gal came up and, and she said, hey, it's gonna be a little bit, I'm the only one here. There's a whole line of people behind me and there's a restaurant full of, literally she is, she's seating people and she's the waitress all at the same time. And I was amazed how well she did. But everywhere you go, businesses are looking for workers. We have many people who can, but are choosing not to. Choosing not to work. Abiding takes work. There is no comfy couch for the branch. It means that it's work because it means we have to move toward him in obedience. It means we have to rely on his truth and not our feelings. Our natural tendency as Christians, our natural tendency, right, is, is to not abide. We would much rather be comfortable. Abiding is sometimes really hard work. When Christ died for you, the relationship between the branch and the vine is what he had in mind. That's the picture he had in mind. Wherever you are right now in your walk with Christ, I wanna share with you how to abide in Christ. <clears throat> and I'm gonna share one and then I'm gonna ask a question and then I'm gonna maybe let you sit with that for 20 seconds or so and just ponder the question. First, you must learn to be the branch. Admit that you are the branch and admit your need for Christ as the vine. So here's a, here's a reflection question for you. Do I need Jesus? And if so, why? Secondly, if this is true, admit to God that you have not been abiding like you should or like he desires. Tell him that you've been more concerned about yourself than you have about abiding in him. So a question you might want to ponder and reflect on here for just a few seconds is how have I been focused on self? How have I been too focused on self? Third, ask him to lead you into a deeper relationship with him where you can learn more of his heart, where you can learn more of his will. And a question maybe to ponder here for a few seconds is how, how has my will been getting in the way? Next, realize that it'll be a test of your faith along the way 
as you move towards intimacy with him. He will bring you to places in, on your journey where you will have to make hard choices. The easy way or the way of faith is what you'll have to choose. My friends, choose the way of faith. It will be the best way every single time. It will not always be the easiest, but it will always be the most rewarding. Each time that you choose the way of faith, you will come to a deeper understanding of who Christ is. So a question maybe to, to ponder and reflect on, do I usually take the easy way instead of the way of faith? Just give that a thought. Next, ask God every day to give you a desire to know him more. Ask him to create in you a thirst to abide as the branch and the vine. Ask him for the strength to pursue the depth of a relationship that he wants to have with you every single day. Remember, friends, we're talking about joy. This is the answer to joy. If you're looking for joy in your life, it's not found outside of the vine, true joy. Verse seven says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Abiding in Christ changes us. It doesn't change him. We move and he remains the same. I desire to know his will so I will get what I want. Did you hear that phrase? I desire to know his will so I will get what I want. Now I want to clarify that so it makes sense. Because as I abide in him, I am conforming to him. I'm accepting more and more of him. I'm, I'm gaining a deeper understanding of what he desires for me to pray for. And in the end, when all of that is happening, in the end I will receive whatever I ask in his name because I have learned that what I wish is that what God desires for me. Do you see how that works? So as I remain in him, I'm getting what I want because he's conforming and he's changing me and I could not possibly want anything else than what he has for me. So that's the very thing I'm asking for. That's what that passage is saying. Abiding will take you to a place where your will is his will. You want what he wants for you. That's joy. That's where you find joy. A true branch that is connected to the vine will always bear fruit. Some more than others, each at different paces. My sanctifying process won't look just like yours and vice versa. But the presence of genuine spiritual fruit is evidence of a branch connected to the vine. And the absence of any spiritual fruit is evidence of a branch that is not connected to the vine. Max Lucado writes in his book, Just Like Jesus. I love this phrase. God loves you just the way you are. But he refuses to leave you that way because of his love for you. He wants you to be just like Jesus. He refuses to leave you unchanged. 
Now we know the source of joy, it's at the vine where it's found, but how do we continue in this joy? Secondly, joy continues through love, verses nine and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. So Jesus is kind of saying, just do what I do in the same way. So to understand the fruit of joy, does anybody here want joy? Like, seriously, like I do, I, I want joy, right? To understand the fruit of joy, let's assume we understand the vine and the branch and what it means to remain in him, because that's what we've just been talking about. Now, as we draw our attention back to the fruit of the spirit, we need to take a closer look at his love for us. If you want to have joy in your life, I'm assuming that that's true of all of us, understanding, believing, and remaining in his love at the vine is the key. Being lavished by his love at the vine. Jesus said in verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is saying that, so I've loved you. Now you, us, remain in my love. So God's love for us brings him glory. His love for us gains him nothing other than his own pleasure. He loves because he is love. 1 John 4, 11 and 12 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love, here's the key to that, if we love in a genuine way, unselfish way, sacrificial way, unconditional way, if we love one another, not a surfacey kind of love, but that deeper love, God lives in us, if we do that, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Complete. Jesus was our atoning sacrifice. Meaning his death atoned for our sin. In God's eyes, Jesus was the only acceptable sacrifice. It was the only way. This atoning sacrifice was God's act towards mankind. It was his turning towards mankind and in no way was dependent on one ounce of our effort or our desire for God. Not once did our sin, not once did our disobedience cause God to second guess himself. It is so good, friends, to revisit the depth of God's love for us, how easily we forget. And so while his love is unconditional, his love is never changing. We stray from his love when we believe that we can live outside of his commands. His love didn't change. It's just that we stopped believing in it. And so because we were created to be loved, when we stop remaining in his love, sitting at the vine, realizing the love that he has for us, when we stop doing that, we look to everything else for love. Because we are so desperate to be loved. It's a foundational need God gave us, a need that was only meant to be met by him. But our sin nature and the lies that we believe convince us that the love we need is found outside of God. When we look for a love 
that only God can give outside of him. The unintended consequence is our joy will suffer and our joy will be squelched. When you look for love outside of God in an unhealthy way, God's love and our joy are forever and permanently fused together. How? By keeping my commands, he says. In other words, by walking in obedience to my word. And might I say, when you walk in obedience to his word, you will not always be received well. In fact, Jesus speaks to that issue in verses 18 through 25 down below. I just kind of want to read it and share a couple things. This is what verse 18 says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It used to be that Christians were hated for what they stood for. If you could imagine yourself standing there holding your Bible and you say, the Bible is what I stand for. And I stand behind my Bible. It used to be that we had a society and a culture that hated us because of that. Because we would say, I'm not like you, I stand for this. And if we had to be really honest, we would have to say that there are times that we haven't done that well. And that we haven't done that the best. And that sometimes standing behind God's word and we're holding God's word and say, this is what I stand for. Sometimes when we hide behind that, we can be judgmental. We can be critical. We can do things that aren't always the best, right? Friends, I think the tide has shifted. We are no longer hated for what we stand for, but we're hated for what we stand against. And there's a difference. I think we're living in a culture, if you could imagine the culture for a second, as a bubble. And, and the bubble is everything and anything that is acceptable to our culture, right? And now the way that we are being viewed or will be viewed, I think in the near future as believers, maybe we don't want to be in that bubble. And now what's happening is because our culture has found each other, they've created this mass, and now they're looking at us and they're saying, you stand against us. It's no longer about what we stand for, that we're standing back, it's that we are against them. They have a loud voice, the culture now. And we will be hated for it. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Are you prepared to be hated by a world that is literally changing by the minute. Back to God's love and our joy being forever and permanently fused together. Imagine for a second God's love, I was trying to think of an analogy. Think, imagine God's love to be a house. Now imagine the front door to be his commands or the passageway to his love. God loves you whether you're inside of the house or outside of the house. But outside of the house, we choose to find our own love because we have believed that his love inside of the house is not enough. Maybe we believe that obedience to his word is too hard or his word is outdated. Maybe we believe the ways of the culture make more sense because majority rules. Outside of the house, there is no joy, at least not in the sense of the fruit of the Spirit kind of joy. You can't find it. Joy is found at the vine. While we eat of the fruit of joy, it is there that we taste and we partake of God's joy. How do we have his joy that we find at the vine become and remain our joy? Verse 9 gives us the answer. It says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, he says now, remain, abide in my love. As the world changes around you, this is what he's saying, stay at the vine. Find joy at the vine. Thirdly, joy completes in him. There's a key word there, verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Wouldn't that be nice to have this, a joy that's complete? At Adventureland Amusement Park in Altoona, Iowa, there is a popular roller coaster called the Tornado. And uh, I grew up going to this amusement park, and, and I've been on the tornado many times. I didn't realize where it got its name, but in 1974, this amusement park was built, um, and there was a tornado that came through and ripped most of the park apart, and then so they had to rebuild. And in 1978, they added this roller coaster called the Tornado. To this day, it's still the signature ride. It's amazing. It's a crickety, shaky, roller coaster with, with loose lap bars holding you in. And I, when I say loose lap bars, I mean loose lap bars, okay? It's one of those where you sit in the cart, it's a bench seat, it's one lap bar that comes down, right? No side for neck support. You know, the way roller coasters are supposed to be, right? 
In fact, I was just telling Lori about this, and she's like, you, you're not, you don't know this, but when I, was, when I was younger, this was before we met, we met pretty young, uh, she said, I went to Adventureland, and I rode on this roller coaster, and I was so scared, because you're getting bounced all over, you literally feel like you're gonna fly out of this cart. I'm not kidding. She said, I leaned down, and I bit the, my friend's leg next to me. I never asked her if that was a girlfriend or a boyfriend. But that's how scary it was. What was unique was that instead of having a steel structure like you see today, right, supporting it, it was, it was supported by the, here it is, by a huge wood trestle. It was all built on wood for two minutes and 58 miles an hour, you could see your life flash before your eyes multiple times. And while you were being tossed around like a rag doll with all the ups and downs and the twists and the turns, the wood structure below was as solid as it would be, although it was, it was creaky and, and you felt like the whole thing was moving. Life reminds me of the cart and the lap bar. It takes you up and it lets you down. And then there's twists and turns, some of which you see coming, others you don't see coming. And the wood trestle beneath reminds me of a joy that is complete. A joy that never changes, no matter where the cart of life is taking you. A joy that is stable. A joy that is an inner position. A joy that is as strong during the twists and the turns of life as it is on straightaways. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus says it's a joy that's complete. Joy doesn't mean that every day is going to be a good day. Joy doesn't mean that you're always going to be smiling. It doesn't mean you're always glad to see people. Isn't that great to have that permission? Right? It's so good to see you. It doesn't mean you're always going to be glad to see people. Joy doesn't mean you will, you will never experience discouragement or you'll never feel down or you'll never experience depression or those kinds of things. That's not what it means. Jesus modeled for us that we can have sorrow, be in pain, and still have joy. The Greek, the word joy is described as an inner gladness, delight, and rejoicing. It's an inner attitude that leads to a cheerful heart, that leads to cheerful behavior. So, complete joy comes from the fruit of the Spirit that is found at the vine that's refined by the Spirit, sustained by God's love. Here's the one thing for you for this week. It's pretty simple. It's not simple, it's simple to read. Count it all joy. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word and thank you, Lord, for the fruit of the Spirit and just this refining process that you continue um, to take us through, this sanctifying process. Lord, sometimes as believers, I think that with each passing day, um, 
I feel like that uh, the spotlight is on us maybe even more and more and that we will be hated because of what we stand against. And God, with that, um, there's this sense that it robs our joy. And yet we are learning this morning that the joy, the fruit of the Spirit joy that we eat of at the vine can never be taken away. Help us to rest in that. Help us to live out of that. And help us in today's world and culture that changes by the minute. I pray, Lord, that we could be an example of that. That our joy, the joy that's in our heart, would be expressed in such a way that it points to Jesus Christ and the hope that's found in him alone. In Jesus' name, amen.